wouldn't mind remaining standing, remain standing, don't sit down yet real quick. I'm going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This morning we're going to unpack verses 1 through 9. Uh, but when I'm done reading verses 1 through 4, if you wouldn't mind responding after I say this is the word of the Lord with thanks be to God. This is what Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? I'm hot right now, Johnny, just so you know. Well, I'm, well there's a lot to that statement, I guess. Um, it's, it's true in three ways, I guess. Mike is hot, I'm physically hot, and I look good. <laughs> or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys can take a seat. Those of you guys who are, uh, if you feel like it's hot, I'm assuming you're, uh, thank you, sir. Armor bearer. Armor bearer. That's an intern right there. Take notes. Um. Yeah, if you're, if you're not from here, you're probably hot, but those of you who are like born and raised natives, you're like, I, you adopted the heat. I was born in it. Born it. Um, so real quick, if you're new, which I, I'm assuming some of you are because of baptisms or whatever it is, my name is Sean. Pella Communities, just so you kind of understand who we are and what we're doing here right now, Pella Communities operates in a mission model. I would encourage you to honestly go home at some point and uh, Google like missions. There's 21 missions in California. Early on in the 16th, 17th century, what um, the Catholic Church really did was press into unreached areas and plant these buildings. And these buildings were in unreached areas, underserved areas. And so what we're doing in our mission model uh, is we're pressing into low, working poor areas. That's what we want to do. So we're here in downtown Glendale. Um, we actually, if you look across the street, you can't see it right now, but we have that Apple Antique kind of uh, spot that's going to be our first mission. Right now we're meeting in a comedy lounge. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a little bit about who Pella is. A little bit about me before I jump in because I don't want to assume any equity in our relationship if I don't know you. Uh, just so you know, we're going to go through Romans. I want you to feel not just comfortable for the sake of feeling comfortable. We're not a seeker-sensitive model. But the reality is I didn't grow up in church and I didn't know the whole Easter shebang uh, for what it was when I first came to faith. So growing up, both my parents were drug addicts. I eventually came to faith in high school and ended up pursuing the pastorate later on in life. And so um, there's some things that maybe you want to know about who I am and uh, how we operate more. I would just encourage you. I'm going to be, let's go, let's go to the left because I know a lot of people exit over there. I'll be over there after service. If we haven't met, I honestly, I mean this, I would love to meet you. Okay. So come up and say hi, introduce yourself. We'll forget each other's names a couple times. We'll do it all over again. But um, yeah, let's do that. All right. With that being said, I'm going to pray for us. And then I want to give some prefaces to what we're going to be covering uh, Easter because it's obviously a little bit different than what we're, we're uh, going to based on what I said last week. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now, and we would ask that you would illuminate the text for us. Spirit, you who inspired it, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we pray, God, now that you would illuminate it. Let us see it the way that you want us to see it. Uh, we love you, God. We really do. Um, but you are so insanely big, and our finite minds struggle to comprehend you at times. So I pray our word would be, or your word would be so clear to us. Um, I pray we'd grow in our faith according to Romans 10, 14, that you would use it to be the center of our innermost thoughts according to Hebrews 4, 12. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so I said last week that this Easter Sunday is going to be a little bit different in that it's going to feel like a theology class, okay? And I know that's different than what you would normally have on an Easter because there's a lot of people who don't normally go to church. But we're not going to back down from that. I want to embrace that. And there's two big things that I want to be able to unpack. The first one is 
uh, what we're celebrating here. We are going to do baptisms today, which is super exciting. There's between 15 and 20 people being baptized. So we're going to celebrate that. And the other thing that we're celebrating, obviously, is the resurrection of Jesus. Now you have to applaud, Brock. You can't applaud people that resurrection. So, so we're going we're gonna to unpack, I'm going to unpack theologically both of those things. But here's what I want to start with, a preface on both of those things. This week, um, I had the opportunity to read countless articles from Voice of Martyrs, Open Door, watch tons of videos, um, first on baptism, right? So here are believers all around the world. I, I watch videos of people in Bangladesh in these uh, kind of outskirts of forests and muddy water being baptized. Uh, people in the frozen tundras of Russia being just dropped into a, as a cutout ice, dropped in and pulled back out. All this done in secret. One of the uh, articles that I read talked about uh, this uh, couple who was baptized in a bathtub in North Korea because they had to be real quiet. Everyone in the bathroom had to be real quiet uh, because they didn't want anyone to hear what was going on. And so my question as I kind of stood back and thought through all this because my oldest is being baptized today is why? What, what is the emphasis in all of this? One of the people in North Korea said, I couldn't wait any longer. I had to be baptized. And so here, if you're a believer, most likely, or I hope and pray, that you have been baptized, do you understand, do we understand what our baptism is all about? Why those stories? Why are people so desirous to be entered into the water to be baptized? So there's that idea that I want to be able to unpack. The second idea um, is honestly how the resurrection and, uh, how, that we celebrate on Easter has always been a point for believers to be baptized. Let me read something to you from a, a solid Presbyterian pastor, John Burgess. He says this, since ancient times, baptism has always been associated with the resurrection. And because the church's great celebration of the resurrection occurs on Easter, Easter has been an, an especially important occasion for Christians to remember and celebrate baptism. Today, however, the link between Easter and baptism is no longer apparent to many. Easter is an appropriate moment for us to ponder again just what baptism is all about. Now, it's that last line that I want to sink our teeth in, okay? Easter should be a moment for all of us as believers, if you've been baptized here, to go, why was I baptized? What happened in that moment? What should I do in looking back when it comes to the conversation on baptism? Now, for us to do that, let me put a little history on us real quick, okay? So if you became a believer in the first, second, or third century, what would happen is you'd, you would go through what's called the catechumen, okay? You'd become a catechumenite. No, I'm just kidding. You'd become this, you'd become someone who would study the faith. Now, this is important. In the early church, what they would do is they would be super intentional with you being baptized, so they wouldn't let you be baptized right away. Sometimes it would take up to three years, and you always had to be baptized on Easter. Now, here's what happened. When they'd enter into this whole deal as they would go through the process of understanding, uh, not just understanding, but honestly memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. They'd understand what does it mean to love God and love our neighbor. They'd walk through what we now know as the Apostles' Creed and have to memorize it. They'd go through all of these steps. And then, finally, 40 days, this is where we get the idea of Lent, 40 days before Easter, they would enter into an intense time of fasting and prayer. So this is where we get Lent. And they would do this all the way up to what we have been celebrating over the last week, which we know as Holy Week. But here's something beautiful. The seven days before Easter that we would get to, this would become a communal project. No one was left alone. All the church rallied around those who were going to be baptized. And as they entered into Holy Week, this is why I called us to fasting and prayer this week. They'd enter into Holy Week and they would fast with the, the, the people who were going to be baptized. They would enter in and they would recite the Apostles' Creed with them and the Lord's Prayer with them. They would spend time with them. You can do this. You can make it here until finally Saturday night. 
The Saturday night before Easter, which historically, as we know, last night, Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday, if you grew up Greek Orthodox, you probably already know this, but what would happen is they would have a late night vigil that would go all the way till midnight. Once midnight took place, the people who were being baptized would stay and pray and fast all night long. Those who had been baptized would go home. They would come back early the next morning before the sunrise. And Justin Martyr tells us that he, we know him as a pre, uh, the, the pastor. So I'm the pastor of public communities. Justin Martyr calls him the president. But the president or the pastor ends up coming up front and everybody comes early Easter morning. And this is so dope. Listen, they come, they come to something called the nave. They'd enter in a space and it would be completely quiet. The pastor would come up, he would step up, and he would say, he is risen. And the place would go bonkers, okay? <laughs> they would scream, he is risen indeed, and they would shout into song. And immediately, all those who've been waiting, maybe a year, two years, three years, the 40 days of fasting and prayer, they would be baptized first, so that at the end of the service, they can receive communion, because they had been able to receive communion up to this point. And so there's something beautiful about uh, baptisms taking place on Easter. So this emphasis on baptism, but not just this emphasis on baptism, this emphasis on baptism on Easter is what I want to unpack. Now, with that being said, some of you are not aware of what we celebrated this last week. So let me give you some bullet points so you can catch up what Resurrection Sunday really is all about. So here's some bullet points. Here's what we believe as Christians. It's a pretty simple um, uh, idea. We're, we're pretty uh, uh, aware of this, but I just want to get us all on the same page. So here's what we know. Jesus takes the sin of the world to eradicate sin. He takes it on the cross. He's betrayed. He sweats blood. He's abandoned. He's mocked. He's lied about. He's slapped. He's punched. He's whipped. Thorns are forced upon his head. He's stripped naked. Then, as he's naked, he's nailed to the cross through his hands and his feet. He's mocked by some more people, and then he dies. Now, keep in mind, while all this is going on, it's crazy. Jesus keeps his composure. Well, everything I just described, a few things for you to be aware of. Number one, he's patient with his disciples who continue to fall asleep in prayer. He's steadfast with Peter who denies. He's absolutely diplomatic with Pilate. I mean, he's, got, he's, he's dripping blood and he's having conversations uh, with, with Pilate in this. He's gracious. He's literally crucified on the cross and he's gracious to the, the thief on the cross next to him. Gracious to him in that moment. Uh, he continues to combat religious slavery from the Pharisees as he's slapped and mocked. He takes a moment while on the cross to look at his mother and John and say, hey, remember, you're the church. All that's going on. And then from there, this is where we get to today. Okay? This is Holy Week. Resurrection Sunday is a celebration that two men who were ashamed to be his disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, end up having a borrowed tomb. They take him in there. And I love this statement as the angels tell the uh, women disciples, hey, FYI, he's alive. The Roman guards are afraid, which Roman guards shouldn't be afraid, but they're afraid of Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, with that being said, we're going to look at Romans 6, but here's what I want to do. This is it. I hope this is where we turn and our brains start to click on some stuff, okay? Later on, a man named Paul, inspired by God, writes the book of Romans, and he's got the audacity. I mean, like the grit that he's wild enough to say that everything I just described, the crucifixion, the beating, the mocking, the slapping, everything I just described... You and I as believers also experienced. This is called the doctrine of union with Christ. We partake in the sufferings of Christ. Let's look at Romans 6 to prove this. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. 
Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Some context for us. FYI, all of chapter 5 made this point. Sin has affected everything, but yet grace is bigger than sin. So think of every, anything you can think of right now. Sin has thwarted it. It's, it's, it's messed with it. It's, it's uh, changed it in some way for the bad. And in doing that, what he declares in chapter 5 is, even though that's true for our souls, grace is bigger. It's bigger. Now, this causes us to ask a question, doesn't it? If grace is more full when there is sin, well, then heck, let's just start sinning. That's exactly what he says in verse 1. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And Paul goes, no, dummy, no, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? This leads us to verse 3. Now, I want you to notice verses 1, 2, and 3 are all questions. If you're a Bible, like you, like, hunker down real quick. If you study the Bible, verses 1, 2, and 3 are all questions. He answers verse 1, doesn't he, in verse 2. He's going to answer verses 2 and 3 in verses 4 through 11. That's how he's going to do that, okay? So if you're looking at that, you can see it. Now, here's the question that he's going to answer in totality in verse 3. Can you turn me down, Johnny? I feel like I'm really, really loud. I wanted to go George Whitfield, no Mike, but Johnny's like, you've got to be Mike, okay? <laughs> For we died and were buried with Christ. Or, I'm sorry, here's the question first. Uh, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ, Jesus, in baptism, we joined him into his death? There's the question. Have you forgotten, if you think you can continue to go on sinning, have you forgotten that you were joined with Jesus in your baptism into death? Notice how he connects that. Now let's unpack verses 4 through 9. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So let me just tell you, new believers, look at your Bibles right now. Look at them. If you call yourself a Christian, two things happen. Number one, you die. Your old self is gone. Then look at the back half of that. Now you have new life. So if you're not a believer in here, you're coming here. You think Christians think they're holy and righteous because we do a bunch of good things. And I'm just telling you, it's the exact opposite. The only reason we think we're righteous is because somebody else did something. That's the, the, like the God's honest truth. And so now we're set in this moment to realize we use language of, I can't do that. Here's why Christians cannot sin. This is why they keep can't going on, uh, continue to go on sinning. Their core has changed. Now, if you're a believer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, think of sexual sin. You think you can continue to pursue that. But now when you partake in that sin, something in you does not enjoy it the way that you used to. That is because you have died and you have a new life. Something is going on. And all of that's identified in your baptism. But we're not done. Notice what he says, how we can see the implications of all this in verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also have been raised to life as he was. Verse 6. Verse 6. No, that's Easter. Uh, verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we also will live with him. So there's two implications of what I just described. If you're a Christian here, and you say my old life is gone, and now I have a new life, there's two implications. Look at the text again. Number one, sin, as much as you feel like this is not true, it is true. Sin does not have power over you. It does not have power over you. Number two, and as crazy as this sounds, if you're not a believer, if Jesus died and was resurrected, you one day will be resurrected. The implications of what I just described is you as a believer will live this life and there's going to come a moment, not when you die, there's going to come a moment where you go from life to better life. That's what happens because Jesus conquered death. But we're not done. Let's keep looking at the text. 
Those are the implications that we can see. Now, how do we know we're not crazy? I mean, honestly, if we're going to live this out, we're going to die to ourselves. we're going to live a new life, how do we know this is true? Paul sees your question coming and he answers it in verse 9. We are sure of this because, and I just need you to see that. How do we know this is true? We are sure of this because, here it is, Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. So this is simple. Homie, if you're not a believer here right now, let me make this super simple for you. Forget Jonah and the wake, okay? Forget all the other miracles. There's one thing you need to figure out. You need to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ wrong. That's it. Because if this happened, all of us Christians, it's simple. We know this is true. We know that our lives are not a waste. That our neighborhoods, our families, our schoolwork, us giving our life away in prayer and fasting and reading our Bible and evangelism and serving the poor. Our lives are not a waste if the resurrection is true. If the resurrection is true, then we're right. This, this is a good reminder for even us who are believers. If you're a believer in here, you need to figure out where are you at with the resurrection. Because if the resurrection is true, to his point, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Now, lastly, I want to go back. So we're going to go full circle here. I want us to go back to verse 3, okay? Because the question now I want to ask, if everything I just described is true, how do we as Christians show that this reality is what it is? Okay, so so just for, for clarity, what we're saying is Jesus, he, he was uh, born, he died, he suffered, and he was raised from the dead. That, in union with Christ, that happens to us, that has and will happen to us. We are dying daily. That's continuing to go on. We know that we're not wrong because he was raised from the dead. Now, in all of these questions, okay, how do we show that we believe this? Not just in prayer and fasting and evangelism and, and, and treating our children a certain way and using our funds in a certain way. How do we know this is true? I want you to look back at verse 3 where he all starts. It started with this question. This is the question that we're trying to answer, isn't it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, stop, okay? Just stop real quick. Let me read it again. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we know and we have a symbol of this reality through baptism. God in his sovereignty gave us communion and baptism to remember. And so what he puts in front of us is a very simple idea. That because we chose, according to Colossians 2, to trust in the power and saving work of God, we have a symbol. The best example I can give is one you've probably heard before. But I'm going to do probably this year 5 to 12 weddings. And every single one of those weddings, a couple is going to stand across from one another. And they're going to declare their covenant with one another. Now they are not married once they put on the ring. They have a ring to show, to symbolize. What that ring does is tell all of you, this person's taken. No, 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 they're already married. They're not an option for you. Everyone who's single, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. You're single. Okay? Now, now this symbol for us is to recognize, uh, not just for them, but for us, I'm married. To the point where I worked with somebody at a vitamin company. So, Candace and I have ring tattoos. Uh, we're not sinners. It's okay. Okay. We have ring tattoos and uh, somebody I worked with, uh, she goes, you got a tattooed ring, but like tattoos are forever. And I go, yeah, so are marriages. What do you want? Like, what are you like? What, what are you at? Like there, there's a difference in understanding that you can go in and out of a marriage, but by wearing a ring, you symbolize you've entered into covenant with one another. Now what he says in this, look at it again, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, 
In baptism, baptism is your ring. Baptism is a moment for us to look back. He says it again in verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And so this causes us as Christians for a moment just to pause. My man Spurgeon says it well when he says, um, our old man was crucified, but he is slow in dying. Brothers and sisters, and i got to talk to the Christians real quick. They're tomorrow, today, I have no idea. You're going to feel like you don't believe. There's going to be moments where it feels like sin overcomes you. Doubt is like overwhelming. There's going to be moments where you're like, am I crazy? Those are very real realities that you experience as a Christian. The important part for all of this is to not forget your baptism. I encourage you as believers, remember you were baptized. Remember what you declared. It is a symbol again and again to remember. And this is God's M.O. This is how he works. Think of Joshua. Lay these stones out so past generations know. They'll remember. Eat these herbs. And remember, you came out of Egypt. We're, we're told again and again to remember. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, we're told to remember that when we were baptized, we were baptized into one body. Remember, you're not alone. Because doubt is real. Because you're going to sin tomorrow, that's very real. Because you're going to fail, you're going to stumble. What do you have in that moment? You have the covenant you made. How do you remember the covenant? I was baptized. That's right, I, I, I forgot I was baptized. The only way to oppose forgetting is remembering. Remember your baptism. Let me read something to you from Calvin in his Institutes. He says, as often as we fall away... We ought to recall the memory of our baptism and fortify our minds with it, that we may always be sure and confident of the forgiveness of sins. Homies, this is, this is why people are in Bangladesh in muddy water being baptized. They want to express the symbol of what's going on eternally. This is why she couldn't wait. This is why baptism was so important to the early church. This is a moment for believers to go, when I go into this water and I come out of this water, I'm declaring something. And as I go along in my journey, I'm going to remember, that's right, I declared this. Just like a ring, I'm married. I'm in it. The ups and downs of what it is. So Christians, brothers and sisters, and I pray you've all been baptized. Remember your baptism. And one of the best ways to remember our baptism, to be reminded that God is still working, is to watch others be baptized. Because in your doubts and in your frustrations and in your confusions, you think God is not moving because he's not talking to you the same or he's not moving the same. And now you're going to watch 15 to 20 people go, no, 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 no. He's still alive. I'm telling you, he's still doing something. And so like the church, we would gather around those who are being baptized and we remind them that their baptism uh, should, uh, moving forward, continue to remind them again and again that their sin is taken away, their, their old man is gone, and they are raised to new life. I pray as believers you'd remember your baptism. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now as a people that um, are pretty fragile, honestly. We, we know that um, our minds, uh, our community sometimes, it's not believers, they, they pull us, you know, pull us, and it's real. Um, we're looking at the screens when we shouldn't, that's real. Um, we're failing in our family life and our neighbors and our workplaces. We just, we cannot do this. And so we're reminded that we have union with you, Jesus. That in the same way you died and you were raised again, we too, we crucify our old man and now we are raised to new life. 
We walk in a new uh, um, way of life that now we are new creatures in you. And that's good news. God, we love you. We need you. Help us do this well. In Jesus' name.